Hello and welcome to The Cultural Scavenger. I'm Andy Parker and thanks for joining me as I share the backstories, the insights, and some offbeat tales that you might not expect. Brenna McDonough is a talented actress whose face you've seen in movies, television, and commercials. And you've probably seen her hands at work, too. I'm delighted to have my dear friend, Brenna McDonough. So before we get uh, to the subject of the title of this episode, mm-hmm. tell me about you know, how you got into the business. You grew, I know you grew up in Chicago Ooh. in a large, right. big Irish family. Uh-huh. Uh, lots yeah. of performers. Your, your sister's a performer. Your mom. Uh-huh. Tell me about yeah. it. Yeah, so so I did. I grew up in a very large family in a very small town in northern Illinois called Crystal Lake. Uh, Chicago was the first market I ever worked in. But um, my parents, uh, my mom was an actress my whole life. Uh, and I always say, if you had nine kids, you'd want to get out of the house, too. So, yes, I come from a very large, demonstrative, creative family, mostly because our parents said, go outside and play. So we took them up on that. Um, my sister Megan is a full-time singer songwriter uh, with a 50-year career. My brother Terry is a full-time musician. Uh, my older brothers were businessmen, and my sister Erin is an accomplished equestrian. But um, then there are those of us who went into the creative arts. And like I say, I, I, you know, I like actors so much. I married one. Yeah. So we continue. You know, I've known you for, gosh, 40 years. And mm-hmm. I've known your husband John for longer <laughs> than that. I mean, it's I it's yeah, forty six years, I guess forty forty seven years. It's it is it's uh, it, it is amazing. Um, amazing. Your your mom did she yeah. encourage you guys to to get into the business <clears throat> to you follow know, in her um, footsteps? Surprisingly enough, my parents were not encouraging of us going into the theater. They expected us to. It expected us to entertain ourselves and them in some some whatever way. They'd hoped we were probably better in school than we were. But um, no, they, they were not encouraging. They wanted us to be creative. But they, uh, my parents were part of a theater community in our hometown. And my mom was an actress, like I say, most of my life. Um, but they had a theater and it was a lovely place. And my parents said, you know, you can go and you can be around, but don't make any noise. And, you know, they were a little horrified when we actually wanted to to do it ourselves. My mom, I will say, passed a few years ago at 103. And she did her... Yeah, I was going to mention that. And, you know, the the amazing thing was your mom was with the program to the very end. Uh I mean, that's... She she really was... You know, it's it's (laughs) one thing to be old and then have no idea where you are on the planet. Right. But but she was right there with it. She really had all her buttons, as her friends would say. And she did her last equity show when she was 87. Wow. So she worked well into her senior life. Wow. Yeah. Well, we have, there's a commonality there, except the the commonality between your upbringing and mine was that, you know, Mm -hmm. my mom, who you met, the the Mm -hmm. gogster. (laughs) Yes, gogi. You know, she was, yeah, she was crazy. Um, and <laughs> we were at least exposed to the arts. She was a singer in my dad's band way back when that's how they met oh, wow. and got married. Uh-huh. But, yeah. um, they were not very encouraging either. I mean, they didn't yeah. really, they didn't want me to be in, in the theater. And, and I think maybe that's just a, 
I, as I look back, you're, it's a protective mechanism because it they know the hardship. Absolutely it is. And we don't want our children to be discouraged. So when our one wanted to get a degree in theater, we thought, oh, no, not another one. But um, so my parents weren't discouraging, but they expected us to to do other things, you know, to broaden our horizons a little bit, but exposed us to the arts a lot growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then when I grew up, when I was about 23 and didn't, you know, really know what I was doing, my mom got a call from her agent in Chicago who was interested in seeing my sister Megan, you know, for an audition. And my mom, who didn't tell me this, um, said, well, Megan's not here. I'll send Brenna to the audition. So she sends me to this audition in Chicago. Turns out I meet the woman, Shirley Hamilton, who eventually became my agent. And uh, I went to the audition and introduced myself. She said, yeah, you look, you, look, you remind me of your mother, blah, blah, blah. Come, come see me tomorrow, which I did do. I went to see her. She offered me, you know, an exclusive contract to work through her agency in Chicago. And then things just sort of fell into place. And how old were you then? I was 23. Oh, okay. 23, yeah. And uh, like I say, Meg was in California and didn't miss a thing. But um, that started a lifelong relationship with Shirley Hamilton, who I dedicated um, our book to. And um, she's the one who I said at some point under my breath, oh, by the way, I have good hands. Now, the reason I say that is because that's something my mom always told me. Now, of all the nine children, and I don't know who she picked out to tell what to, but she always told me I had pretty hands. And she also told me I had a good memory. And the truth of the matter is, I really do have a good memory. Now, is it because she told me that or because I happen to have, who knows, it doesn't matter. But parents are very, very instrumental in their their kids' lives. So from saying that to my agent, Shirley Hamilton, by the way, I have good hands. And really, I was a little shy about saying that. She it's it's me, not like that's something that you come. Oh, by the way, no, <laughs> look at you these know, hands. When, when you when you fill out a form at a at a talent agency, yeah. they ask you, you know, can you sing? Can you twirl the baton? Everything, you know, right. list your skills. And I said, well, I have good hands. She sent me on an audition that very afternoon for a print job, and it was to be holding a fork for this particular ad. I don't know whether it's Oneida silverware or something. And I got the job. So that's so I got the first job she sent my hands on. So that just started the ball rolling in Chicago. Was that yeah. the very first job that you got? Just no, the hand, no, no, no. Okay. No, I'd always been going out for commercials. And, okay. and, and yeah, I'd always they'd been using my face. And I thought, well, there are other parts of me that work too. <laughs> that's, yeah, clearly. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. You, you, uh, uh, I was going to get to that uh, down oh, the road. No, that's okay. I, no, I, I gave that, it away. No, that's okay. That was going to be the punchline. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that's probably good that we we got to that point when we did, because otherwise people would go, well, wait a minute. So when's this coming? <laughs> <laughs> I can't rem- remember, but, and you can fill me in because you've got a better memory than I do. But when did <laughs> when did you meet John? Was it when he was yeah, passing through sure. um, into in uh, doing Evita? You know, Andy, it was, uh, I started in 1973 in Chicago and in 19, around 1980, I decided I'm moving to New York. And that was the year I met John, 1980. I was minutes away from leaving for New York. And then I meet this guy who at that time was just a guy. Right. I didn't know he was good, my future husband, but, um, yeah, so I did move to New York. 
um, with my agent's blessing, um, which was it felt great. Um, so I worked in Chicago for about eight years before I went to New York. Did you do any theater in, in Chicago? Um, I did a little bit of theater, but I really supported my acting career by working with a um, top 40 band at night. Ah, okay. um, the first early days, I was a Gaslight Girl which was a private club in New York, in Chicago. Um, and then I left the Gaslight Club and joined something called the Jerry Alardi Show. And it was, it was we were doing all disco, you know, right. um, Bee Gees, all that stuff, working the Marriott's and, and things like that. So that paid me enough money to keep my acting career going in terms of classes and things like that. And, and then auditioning for commercials during the day. Yeah, and you've parlayed that. I mean, you've done a ton of commercials. You've done a ton of uh, episodic television and film. Uh-huh. And, and that's mm-hmm. the thing. You're like my friend Randy Brooks, who our, our mutual <laughs> friend Randy Brooks. Right. You don't know the name, but it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen her before. Or I, mm-hmm. I, I know that song. Right. When I got out of the business, decided I was, mm-hmm. you know, had, had enough um, mm-hmm. of New York, and I was going to move to... Uh, or to to do something else, I was going to do something mm-hmm. else, and decided to get into the sporting goods business, and mm-hmm. so I ended up in Maryland uh, as a uh, as a manufacturer's rep, and and we were you and John and I and Barbara and I were such great friends. I, I'd like to mm-hmm. think that we had a hand in getting you oh my f- God. following <laughs> us down <laughs> because and you did. It was like, hey, you know, and it, it and I think maybe it was it, well, it was a visit or two, but I think it might have been. Um, I, I actually, when I became a, a manufacturer's rep, I also had the time to to do just side gigs, mm-hmm. uh, commercial work if I if I could get them. Um, I mm-hmm. was not nearly as prolific as as you guys are, mm-hmm. but I, I was. I remember I got a um, day job on this short lived series that Robert Wagner was in, mm-hmm. and. It, it was, you know, and I remember just being so nervous. I mean, the guy was so damn good looking. I was going, Jesus yeah. Christ, no wonder this guy's a movie star. I was just, I, I was really nervous. But the the moral of the story is there's work here. There's work in D.C. Mm-hmm. And it was like, John, yeah. Brenna, you guys need to come yeah. down here. And you mm-hmm. did. We ended up, you know, we, five we minutes did. away. I know we have wonderful times. It was great when you were here and then you moved here and then we then moved I, here and then you leave. Then so I left. I kept thinking, we shouldn't keep following the Parkers. It must be something about us. Well, so tell <laughs> me, no. yeah, tell me about the, you know, how it's going in, in the air. I mean, you've yeah. obviously, you know, John's still able to audition in New York and, but you've done right. a ton of stuff. Well, you both have, right. I mean, you did house yeah. of cards. Tell me what you've done right. in DC. So, um, when we moved down here, I wasn't even w- clear of where Maryland was on the map because I was really loving living in New York. I had a great life, blah, blah, blah. But we knew that we wanted to raise kids. So this was a better choice. So John was smart to follow your lead on that one. Um, but yeah, so people don't realize that um, there's a lot of work for actors in many markets. When I first started out, it was Chicago, New York, L.A. But now it's Chicago, New York, L.A., Atlanta, mm-hmm. Miami, um, Louisville, Austin. I mean, it, it's really opened up a lot because technology has gotten simpler, and, and amongst other things. Um, so, yeah, when we moved down here, and I did leave New York kicking and screaming, but we got familiar with the casting directors here in this market. And we had a track record because we'd worked in New York for so many years. And that meant something back then. And we had experience. So, um, 
people called us for auditions. We went, they hired us as whole family sometimes with our two little kids because they looked like us. Um, so we, we were in the right place at the right time. And again, as you mentioned, it was close enough to New York for John to get back and forth because he always kept his agent representation up there mm-hmm. as well as working down here. So he was able to do tours and Broadway shows and, and commercials while he was here. So it, it turned out to be a really good move for us. What shows, I know you did House of Cards. Give me House the, of Cards. Yeah. Uh, I don't have my resume in front of me, but House of Cards, Veep. Um, I did um, a, a number of movies. Um, John did something the Lord made. I did um, a Russell Crowe movie called. Uh, I can't believe I don't remember this. <laughs> I don't. I don't keep up my own uh, my own press. Um, You've done a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of commercials, a lot of corporate videos. There's a lot of, you know, the government does training films on everything. Right. Um, you know, uh, security, behavior in the workplace, that type of thing. The next three days is the name of the Russell Crowe movie. I should know that. Um, yeah. So um, I've been fortunate enough to work and also to be able to have a family. And that was really the goal for both of us. Yeah. That we could maintain a career and also have a family. It's, uh, it is remarkable to be working actors, I mean, actors that mm-hmm. can actually support themselves making a living, mm-hmm. you can actually, you can work and you can retire. Yeah, that's true. And also, Andy, I think uh, John and I never considered ourselves to be um, household names. That was never our goal. I didn't have this big dream of stardom in New York mm-hmm. doing commercials. Um, but I knew that I could be a working actor. I knew that it fit my temperament as well as my personality. Um, there are a lot of people out there who could not tolerate the inconsistencies of not working every single day or not knowing when the paycheck was going to come right. in. Somehow, we just had a certain amount of overlap that worked for us. Yeah, you managed to do it. And yeah. I, I read an article someplace a while back that said that on any given day, what, 99% of actors' equity is not working? Something. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it was just something, yeah. just an astounding statistic. So the fact that right. you guys... And and after you know SAG and after the same same right. deal, so I guess that what you were able to do when you were doing all these corporate you did a lot of corporate videos did that was mm-hmm. that what put the bug in your ear to do actors training because you've also developed a wonderful yeah. Uh, school. Yeah. yeah. So for about twenty two three years ago, I started my own studio, which is called On Camera Training, and. Um, that came out of, it wasn't my idea. A casting director said, you know, you've been doing this a while. Why don't you teach other people how to do it? And so I thought, well, that kind of makes sense to me. Um, so I had a brochure made up. I got a telephone and I started sending out, you know, uh, little ads here and there. Um, and word of mouth, the casting directors are very kind in the market and suggested that people take my class, which they did do. Um, and so that turned into um actor training as well as uh, training business professionals, mm-hmm. how to be comfortable on camera and how to really polish up what they already do well to do it even better. And and the thing is that there's there's also the the wannabe factor because it's like, oh, oh yeah. I, I can be I can do this. I can be <laughs> I, can, I can do there's this stuff. There's a lot of that. There is a lot of that. <laughs> and you yeah. don't take advantage of any of that, do you? <laughs> well, no, because uh, you know, I teach them what I know and the rest is up to them to go to go and get it. Right. Um, but it, it like I said, this business isn't for everybody, but if you think you have, you know, an inclination toward it, you owe it to yourself to sharpen up your skill set. 
Sure. You know, do, do you... just because you're pretty doesn't mean you're going to be a big success. Right. Have you have you had any students graduate that actually went on and made money doing? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, some of them keep in touch. Some of them don't. I've had a lot of people. Uh, I'd say quite a few people have moved to L.A. Most of the people who've taken my class have moved to L.A. Some have gone on to New York. Um, but a lot of kids just, you know, some kids want to be action figures and some mm -hmm. people want to be Disney princesses. And then some people are really serious about being an actor. So even though I teach people how to be comfortable on camera, they can still go on and take other deeper acting classes if they see themselves doing more serious work. Right. Yeah. Well, so you had a hand in at least fostering some of these people that, that are uh, and, doing stuff. Yes, quite a few. I've seen a number of people I've had in class on TV and in the movies. That's very cool. And something yeah. that occurred to me, there's a guy that I worked with when I was in the sporting goods and apparel business. And mm -hmm. he lived in New York. You know, we worked together and he was the sales manager for some apparel company. And he looked just like shows of Stalin. <laughs> and, <laughs> wow. I, and I'm going to have him as a guest on the podcast because he, he literally, I said, Rick, did they ever make the, <laughs> the movie? The story of Stalin's the, life. Yeah. The, I, I'm gonna, and I call it I said, Young Joe, The Forgotten Years. And he always, it always cracked him up. Yeah. And he said, ah, oh, you yeah. know. And he's, he's, he actually decide, took yeah. me up on it. One day he just had enough of the business. And now he he's actually, he's like on the executive board for, for Screen Actors Guild. I mean, he's he's oh, like you uh -huh. guys. He's a working yeah. actor. He's done a ton of stuff. Right. He's been on, in right. House of Cards, just like you. Uh -huh. He's he's not one of those household names, but he's a working actor. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think people don't realize that acting doesn't just mean that you only do theater or you only do commercials. You know, you do audio books. You do um, print modeling. Mm -hmm. uh, you, there's any number of ways to... Um, create a career for yourself you do technical you know maybe you're going to be the recording engineer for somebody else's demo you learn all sorts of things about photography and i, I think i think the better actors are the more well-rounded actors mm -hmm. but they know how to do things other than something specific in the good old days when there was just network television and a little bit of you know cable mm -hmm. when you got a national commercial it, it was yeah, oh, it, it, was, it was like huge money. I mean, huge money. Yeah, What's yeah, happened was. now? So um, uh, let me just add, add one more thing to what you said about the Joseph Stalin thing. There are a <laughs> number of companies here in the Washington, D.C. area who have a, a lookalike business. Oh, so that, for, yes, you they, did that. Yeah. <laughs> so for eight years, I was a Laura Bush lookalike. You know, which was big fun mm -hmm. because people think, you know, they kind of think you are her. And it's, it's just ridiculous. I, and I did Nancy Pelosi not too long ago either. But now in answer to um, how are things now in terms of national spots. So the industry has changed quite a bit, not just due to COVID, but just because it has. And there's a lot more non-union production. And so consequently, that goes to non-union actors. Mm -hmm. um, national commercials still pay big money. You just don't see quite as many of them. Uh, like there aren't very many commercials shot in the Washington area at all. There are more films and corporate videos because we have the beautiful exteriors. Sure. And the national spots that would be available to us would be shot more likely in New York. Um, but national spots still, you know, it's something we all want, you know, more of. 
Right. Um, but again, the, the, there's a lot more non-union work going on. I wonder if um, wonder how the, the Melania and Donald Trump lookalikes are going to fare. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> I haven't seen any of those, actually. Of course, I, you know, I haven't seen anything because we've been isolated because of COVID. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's fun to, to get out on those things where you see a Bill and Hillary lookalike or, yeah, oh, I, I did Hillary, too, with a slight adjustment to with a blonde wig. But but yeah. Yeah. Multi multifaceted. Yes. So, are you? My final question is: Are you still doing any hand jobs? <laughs> Why? Thank you for asking. As a matter of fact, <laughs> um, yeah. That. But I'm mean, As a hand model, you just got used to every single joke. And yes, the Seinfeld episode is true. I once dated a a, a guy who was a hand model, and he he was so much fun. But he was pretty meticulous about his hands. So we had a lot in common in that respect. We were always taking really good care of our hands. Um, So no, I've kind of aged out of the hand category that I was once in, which was a petite product presenter. I have a very small hand. So I would make an object. You can see what I'm holding up now yeah. in my little AirPod case. I make the object the focus. Because yeah. we're not selling hands. We're selling product. Okay. Yeah. So I have a small hand, which enhances the product, rather than a glamour hand, which is selling, you know, something sexier. Right. Yeah. A small so, hand um, with, a, with giant talent. <laughs> there you go. Unstoppable. <laughs> unprecedented. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I well, I congratulate you on you and what you and John have been able to accomplish. And it always tickles us when we, we're going through <laughs> Netflix and, and go, oh my God, there's there's Brenna. There's she, she's back. She's there back. she is again. Um, well, there's we are there's young Joe Stalin. He's been <laughs> Well, we are thrilled and proud about your podcast, and so we will be listening with great interest, not just at this episode, but but for all of it. Um, it's it's kind of custom designed for you because it uh, your humor and personality come through, Andy. Well, thank you, you know? and I I, yeah. I I think uh, you know after sixty seven years, I finally found one. <laughs> My calling. <laughs> there you go. We all need more than one career inside of us. Uh, exactly. Well, it's great seeing you. Tell John yeah. I said hello, and um, thanks for being on the Cultural Scavenger. I enjoyed myself tremendously. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love. A song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider becoming a contributor to the podcast. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.